Hello everyone, this is Joshua S. Johnson of visualfreelancer.com. Today I want to talk to you about a very special memory of mine from back in the golden age of the 1980s. Do you remember the 1980s? Golden trees, the breeze was crisp and cooler, the gipper. The 1980s were a beautiful time in my life and I wish that I could tell this story sounding like this but I can't I have to break out of this accent now but I don't want to leave why do I want to leave this accent alright here we go three two one hello everybody this is Joshua S. Johnson of visualfreelancer.com wanting to tell you a story but not a cool Spanish sounding inspired story about conventions, science fiction conventions, comic book conventions, horror conventions, fan conventions of any sort where all sorts of idolaters get together and dance around in costumes. The very first memory that I have of seeing a celebrity happened at the post exchange on Fort Polk, Louisiana sometime in the mid 1980s, probably around 85, 1986, 1987, and it was Mr. T as a kid, and being familiar with um, the television show The A-Team, and watching it a lot, and being a fan of um, uh, Face, mostly, Starbuck, always action-packed, always cool. Seeing Mr. T as a kid was really cool experience. I had been watching The A-Team for, well, a lot like every kid had uh, during that time period. And him showing up at the post-exchange on Fort Polk, Louisiana, was really awesome for family members and the soldiers that were there. Um, there was just a massive amount of people. The post-exchange there was, I guess it was a pretty good size, but not a really uh, huge space uh, to be able to fill in all the people that wanted to see Mr. T. And we stood in line and there wasn't any, there wasn't any, there was somebody doing some speaking for him. Everybody just walked up and shook his hand. So there was a bunch of people he didn't, uh, I don't remember any autographs when I went up. And of course he was, he was actually taller than I was uh, at the time because I was, I was very young. And so I was looking up, he was a massive human being. And I shook his hand and and I was in. I moved. I moved on, Mr. T. Now, the first convention that I had ever gone to, I was 12 years old, and it was in 1989, in Tacoma, Washington, and it was a small Star Trek convention. It had Jonathan Franks there talking about what was going on in uh, Star Trek that year. It was the first time in my life uh, that I had seen in-person adults actually dressing up in funny costumes in something that wasn't Halloween and celebrating a television series openly. Being able to see the combined elements in that very first time in 1989 of the fans and them putting together costumes on their free time and one guy looking a lot like Jonathan Franks wearing a season one, season two, next generation outfit. The first time that I had seen an actual outfit like that in person. And then finally seeing Jonathan Franks take the stage and in regular clothes, not some, not some costume. And 
be absolutely charming as a presenter to the audience with a smile that made you made you like them immediately and story, funny little stories that had the audience laughing and giggling and then his interaction with the audience members now this is my first time ever seeing anything like this and I was 12 and when it came to questions my hand was up and I, I didn't know how autograph lines worked I was unable to get his autograph at that time because I didn't know the process I had never been to a science fiction convention before but during the question and answer session he had called on the audience and everyone had their hands up and everything and and he pointed over and he said you the only one wearing a costume and I and people laughed and I, I looked around and I realized I was really one of the very few people at least my age group that didn't have a costume on I was not familiar with the convention scene I wasn't familiar with fandom at all I had just recently come up from a small place called Fort Polk Louisiana I had grown up on and around military bases um, the largest city that I had ever been in consistently was Memphis Tennessee and they didn't have as many science fiction conventions in you know, the the eighties that I was there for <clears throat> so having Jonathan Franks you know call on me and, and point out that I didn't have a costume was cool and so I I hurriedly asked uh, if there were going to be any Gorns in in the new series because somebody already took the Vulcan question one of the things I noticed about Jonathan Franks was he was a excellent spokesman for Star Trek. He was an excellent spokesman for the television show. His excitement and his genuine appreciation for what all was going on <clears throat> during the production at the time um, that he was speaking really shined through in his engaging the audience. It looked like he was having a conversation with a bunch of people who really liked him. And it uh, was awesome as a first experience ever of seeing a science fiction celebrity on stage um, at a convention. Looking back, 1989, asking Jonathan Franks if there were going to be Gorns in the next generation was kind of a high hope because with special effects at that time, it would look almost exactly the same as the suit from the 1960s. But the concept of the Gorn and the artwork involving Gorns and the introduction of Gorns in Star Trek lore um, were always some of my favorite because they were giant reptile lizard beasts that had spaceships. The second convention I went to um, was more, it was regional. Um, it was it was north of Tacoma and it was called, it is still called NorwestCon and it's mainly aimed more towards people that like, you know, reading and books and it's a good convention, it's a nice time, um, people have a lot of fun there. Um, it's, a, it's a smaller venue and um, I went up there with some friends when I was a teenager and without a costume, didn't, didn't really have one. And then later on, uh, as an adult, I, did a, I went to another Norwest Con, um, actually in 2009, because I wanted to see what the reaction to the costume, the rocket costume, was going to be. And um, it was a good field test. And if you ever want to test out a concept, walk around a crowded room full of people that have stormtrooper armor to Darth Maul costumes to Doctor Who outfits to Star Trek uniforms. Everybody that's there is celebrating that franchise. So if you have a concept to test, walk through a crowded room of these people and they will tell you exactly what they think 
of what you have. Sometime in the mid-90s, there was an event that was entirely surrounded um, John DeLance from Star Trek, and it was being held over at a hotel in Tumwater. And um, this was before I had gone to the Air Force. So I went down, and that wasn't that far away, uh, not that far from Tumwater Video that I had mentioned in a previous podcast. And right across the street from, you know, locals, it's right, it was right across the street from Nickelby's. It's now a Fred Meyer. Um, but before it was a Fred Meyer, it was a hotel. And at one point, John DeLance was at this hotel in the 90s talking to an audience of, of Star Trek fans. What I found unique about that one, unlike the event that Jonathan Franks was talking at in 1989, this event was, I think, around 19, late 93 or 1994 at the latest maybe even early, early 1995, but having John DeLance there, it wasn't advertised as a Star Trek event. It was advertised as John DeLance from Star Trek is going, or for the next generation, is going to be at this hotel in Tumwater speaking at this time. So I went down there, and it wasn't that far away. It was near Tumwater Video. Um, the place that I had told you about in a previous podcast. And there was there was a number of people there, but the biggest thing was they had not received all of these pictures of John DeLance for autograph photos. And so the merchandise tables were scoured. Seeing John DeLance and this huge line, this guy just just scribbling, just scribbling, just scribbling page after page, everything, everything, you know, people that bring up to him, these items. And, you know, by the time I got up to him, I just pretty much said, man, I bet your hand hurts. And that, that was the, my experience with John DeLance. And seeing, also for the first time, sort of the process of how autograph systems work. Sometime in 95, there was a Star Trek actor from one of the spinoff series, Star Trek Voyager, over at Liberty Land in Memphis, Tennessee. And I was down there visiting my grandparents and was close by. Uh, so I went down to Liberty Land and I went and um, he was sitting out at a, a small little kiosk and um, you know, signing autographs for people that were walking by and stuff. So the venue was different where he had to be stationary and sitting in one place. There wasn't a stage um, for the guy to speak at. It was just sort of like he was he was propped in between one section and the other section of Liberty Land. So I thought it was I thought that was really an interesting thing because they had him practically on display and I wanted to you know, I wanted the guy on stage. I wanted to hear him talk. I wanted to hear him talk about this new show called Voyager. So way after that, around uh late two thousand three, early two thousand four, Adam West wound up in Olympia. I was in Olympia, Washington and Adam West was downtown at a comedy show, hosting a comedy show. And above pretty much everybody that I've seen on television um, throughout the course of my life, young and old, Adam West is the person who always tends to get my attention immediately, sharply, because he was the absolute archetype of comic book type of entertainment. There was a few previous Batman who had taken up the cowl in 1949 and also 1943. But Adam West was unique in the genre because 
of how memorable his performance as Batman was. When you ask about like who Batman is now, and people say, oh, Christian Bale, okay, obviously, and then before that it was Clooney, and before that it was Kilmer, and before that it was Keaton. Before that, though, when you listen to the cartoons, yeah, the Scooby-Doo cartoons and Batman and Robin show up, the Batman and Robin cartoons, and a lot of the media involving Batman of the 1970s and early 1980s, it was Adam West's voice. It was the same person who had played Batman in the goofy kid shows was voicing Batman all throughout the 70s and 80s. Batman was different because by the time it was in syndication, in the time that I was growing up, it was almost a daily feature. And that was an introduction really into the DC universe for some kids, the television DC characters. The 1960s Batman was reflective of the time. It was an over-the-top, goofy, fun, awesome run of a show and Adam West to have somebody play a convincing superhero that had already been in the mindset of the popular culture. To be able to step in with an amount of seriousness into a role that inside of an overall show which had amazing comedic and slapstick overtones and then you have an actor who the whole time makes it believable. Adam West was able to pull that off with and Burt Ward because when you looked at that Batman making even some of the decisions based on very strange circumstance like finding out that the riddle was a ballpoint banana and then him coming up with the next one Adam West was able to deliver these roles with such a seriousness that even though some of the material was absolutely joyously absurd you kids automatically thought that you know that's batman he would he's able to make the tough choices in life once he found out that the riddler's message was the ballpoint banana he is able to take action and decisively mitigate the circumstance to a kid that means wow batman's taking care of it just amazing amazingly goofy absurd plot lines commodore schmidlab in the 1966 movie, although he was in there for not very long, had to be probably my favorite side character of all of Batman because of just how dim the dude was being <laughs> being stuck on his own ship in a fog storm. But it's not really his ship. It's a little room that was put together by the Joker, Catwoman, Riddler, and the Penguin in order to du dupe the guy into believing that he was actually on a boat that they had stolen. There was no visual Batman on TV or in film until 1989. When did Batman go off the air? When was someone else? <laughs> when could anybody else? What elements existed to actually be able to make Batman someone else's other than the amazing Adam West, who was an advocate for their show, was a continuing presence in the popular creation and idea of what a character, who a character should sound like, in this case Batman sounding and looking like Adam West, all throughout the 1960s, uh, mid-60s, all the way up until the early 80s, Adam West was Batman. Having a guy who would go in the costume to meet with fans, to see somebody go that entire distance, and then continue on you know, to meet people at, at conventions and at a, at one point, a comedy club in downtown Olympia. And he was accessible. He was, he was 
just an amazing performer. He is the absolute study of who a character talent is. I went down there with a friend of mine, and we went in, and uh, Adam West was, I guess uh, he was late, but I didn't care, because Adam West was probably the one celebrity that who I wanted to I wanted to meet. Like I was absolutely excited, ecstatic, and thrilled to to be able to meet the guy. The um, fact that he was even nearby. This was another uh, another uh, happenstance where I was in a location that it did not seem. Or this was another instance where it didn't seem like there should be a celebrity nearby. So when Adam West wound up being in downtown Olympia, it it was pretty shocking. So I got some pictures of, of Adam West um, for him to sign and then went down there to, um, I forgot the name of the comedy club, it's gone now, but uh, it was replaced with uh, a nightclub and then another nightclub. We went down there and there was um, a big setup, a big, a big reel that was being played on these little television screens while we were waiting. And then the, uh, the comedy show started and um, we got to... Adam West, and he got out there and he said said a couple of things, and then the comedians came on. One guy was apparently drunk and something, and then another guy something. I don't remember a damn thing about the comedians. Uh, just waiting for Adam West to get back onto the stage and to the point where we got to meet him. So the owners of this club, I reckoned, were pretty smart guys. They didn't have to bring in a TV celebrity. They didn't have to bring in the Batman. But when they did... That actually got people to the event that normally would not give a damn about a comedy show. The line to see Adam West uh, started to form, and everybody there, like after the after the comedy show was done, applause and all this, and it was announced he was going to be signing autographs. Everybody, everybody was right in the queue. Everybody was right in the line, and everybody was on their absolute best behavior. Nobody was. Nobody was drunk and being stupid. There was not an overwhelming amount of security there. And we got closer and closer in the line. And, you know, I looked at him, and one of the things I, I noticed, he's fairly tall, a fairly tall guy. I was as tall, just maybe a little bit taller than Batman. And that, you know, I, mean, I take what I can get, really. But to see him, you know, to actually see his height, you know, for the first time. And then going up to have him sign these uh, these photographs, one for me and one for my nephew. Um, he took a look at the one that uh, I wanted for me, and it's a picture of him as Batman in the 1966 movie holding that giant cartoon-like bomb over his head and making that serious grunting gesture. And I, uh, I handed him that, and he he looked at it, and then he spread his arms really wide, and he said, in his in a way I can't mimic some days you just can't get rid of a bomb and he did it with such enthusiasm it was it was just like the movie and there he was right there two feet away from me when he saw the other picture uh, which was of him and Burt Ward that I had gotten for my nephew you know, he looked at that and asked who it was for and I had mentioned my nephew's name and he immediately recognized the the culture that it was uh, that it was drawn from and and that was another unusual aspect of Adam West is because of everybody I had ever met and because I have a multicultural family that when I say the names of some of my relatives a lot of people don't really get it but 
um, there's not a lot of uh, cultural recognition in some people I've met between uh, different Asian cultures. So Adam West immediately knowing, identifying the specific culture and the background of the name was very impressive to me and again I could see immediately why studio executive or series of executives or casting agent looked at this guy when he was younger and said you know what that's Batman that's uh, my story about Adam West uh, one one crazy night in Olympia thank you for listening to my podcast for April 13th 2013 on the next podcast I'll talk about experiences on the set of Kindergarten Cop when I was very young and also more recent experiences seeing the Portland Comic Con in February of 2013 where my friends and I were able to go down and speak at the first panel on the first day of the first annual Wizard World Portland Comic Con. Thanks again for listening, and if you're on Twitter, check out my official Twitter page at Rocket Web Show, or online at www.visualfreelancer.com. Have a great day.